Morning, everyone. And very welcome to our uh, service this morning. It's another beautiful sunny day. Uh, it's not often you can say that about Northern Ireland, but it's great. It's a lovely summery day, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has to say to us today. And anybody watching on the internet, uh, you're very welcome also uh, to be a part of our fellowship. Um, I just want to go through a couple of announcements. Uh, just about, first of all, Blaze, our little bee. Um, I don't know actually where he is at the moment, but he's coming back soon. And if you look at the back, you'll see the dates. If you'd like to take the little blaze with you um, on your holiday or for a couple of days, and there's a little journal, and you write down where he's been. The idea is to try and find out where God is moving in different places. And we're making accounts of that and trying to help our children understand the importance, not just of local mission, but of global mission as well. So the list is at the back. Please check the dates. If you'd like to take them, we can arrange for that. Uh, Zoom prayer times. Uh, There's going to be a a prayer meeting this Wednesday, uh, 3rd of August at 8 p.m. on Zoom. And uh, all the details are on the order of service. It'd be great to have you there with us. We're going to be praying particularly for SISM that starts on Saturday. And I'm told about 300 children have signed up to that. It was booked out in 10 minutes. So we really appreciate your prayers. And if you come along, and we're going to hopefully, we're going to have a a team uh, from SISM next Sunday morning here. So uh, they're going to do a children's address. And uh, so please, if you have any grandchildren or children uh, hanging about the house, tell them to come out, pull them out, strap them in the car and bring them along. Uh, It'll be very focused on children next Sunday morning. Uh, Service of commissioning for Ben Cavan, as you know, is on Sunday the 14th of August at half past three. Um, If you still haven't put your name down, you're going to come to that. You're going to stay for catering, for for refreshments afterwards. Please give Muriel uh, your name if you haven't already done so. Uh, The Bradley Hall Complex will be unavailable from Monday the 15th of August until Monday the 29th of August for essential cleaning. And this will include major work on the floor of the Bradley Hall, which must not be walked on uh, during the period. And those are all of the announcements. I just want to start our service today by reading Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verses 1 to 2. And it's good to settle our hearts. It's a good verse for coming in. If you've been busy all week and you're coming in, you just want to settle your heart before God. David writes, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Let's pray. Father, we just want to welcome you to our service this morning. Father, we are conscious of sin in our lives, especially when we come into your presence. We become more and more aware of it. We pray that you would forgive our sin Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts, and Lord, that we would be drawn closer to your Son in your presence this morning, and Lord, that you would touch us, move within us in the worship, speak to us in the worship, speak to us in the stillness, speak to us through your word, and may Jesus Christ be honored and glorified in everything that is said and done in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a beautiful uh, song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ.
I'd like to read for you 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses it was either my father or my my uncle who once told me that whenever Christmas Day came, on Christmas morning they would come down and they would receive an orange in their stocking and they'd receive a little toy car like a matchbox car and that's all that they got on Christmas morning. Uh, Can you imagine our children if (laughs) if they came down and we give them an orange and a matchbox? (laughs) And what I want to speak today a lot about is contentment Um, because Often society, it develops discontentment. It teaches us how to be discontent. There's so many advertisements on the television telling us that we need the best car, we need another phone, we need an update on our computer, we need this holiday, or we need this brand of clothes. And uh, how do we did a wee bit of research on the number of advertisements um, that we watch every day. Now, in the, in the 70s, it was reported... Uh, that the average person saw between 500 to 1,600 ads per day. In 2007, it jumped away up. It was reported that the average person saw 5,000 ads per day. And in 2021, they haven't done an accurate report, but it's estimated that the average person sees between 6,000 to 10,000 ads every single day and all of them are telling you what you have now isn't enough what you have you shouldn't be content with that car or that phone or those clothes or that hairstyle or whatever you need to buy this in order to be more content and uh, so (laughs) each of those things though that they're advertising They all have their sell-by date. They all eventually... Well, my car, for example, that I learned to drive in was a Hillman Avenger, and it's probably sitting somewhere in a scrap heap somewhere. The clothes that I wore, my Bay City Ruler parallels, dear knows where they are, who has them? But they all have a sell-by date. You know, so we can buy something, and it gives us a rush of happiness for a while, But then we become so familiar with it, we're looking for the next rush and the next thing we can buy. But that's not contentment. I love, do you know what I love? I love, uh, I love bubbles. And uh, if there's any West Ham supporters here, you'll love this one. (laughs) There you go. Now, the thing about bubbles is that they burst. And um, the thing about... (laughs) Maybe I should turn it off a moment. The thing thing about the things that we go out to buy, eventually they fade away and die. But I want you to imagine... Put this on again in a wee minute. I want you to imagine that every bubble that's coming out of this machine have been your lifetime ambitions, your lifetime goals, hopes, dreams, aspirations, that every bubble represents what you hope to get out of life. Okay? And sometimes they burst 
before you even get to realize them. You've got these hopes and dreams, and sadly, sometimes they never get to fruition. They never get to be fulfilled in your life, and sometimes that's sad. But sometimes we have, we have been able to fulfill the things that we wanted to do, our aims, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions. We have got the job we wanted. You know, we've got the wife we wanted. We've got the holiday we wanted. We've got the security, the pension we wanted. We've got out of life everything. And those are all good things. But they're temporary. Eventually, even our relationships, even the very life in us, comes to an end. And what the Bible teaches us, what Scripture teaches us, that if we're to have true contentment, it can't be based on something that's temporary, something that's going to one day fade and die. It has to be based upon something that is eternal, something that has got an eternal significance, higher power than what we are. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3. He says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. What he simply means is, God has put an, an awareness within every single man that there is more to life than what we see, taste, touch, and hear, and feel. That there is a God up there somewhere I remember a woman, my RE teacher was Betty Hill, and she was a godly Christian woman. And I remember her telling us when we were doing A-level RE, she said, you know, God has put in us throughout the world a moral awareness that there is a higher power, that there is a God. And she said, that's why we have so many different religions in the world, because they're aware that there's a higher power. It's been, eternity has been put in the hearts of men by God, and they're looking for God, and many people look in the wrong places. But what we need to, when we have contentment, we talk about contentment, it needs to be based in the eternal. For example, Scripture tells us that you and I were made in the image of God. Scripture tells us that God is your creator, that he knows you better than your wife, your husband, even know you. We're told that God is your father, and we're told that that father loves you so much that he would even give up his own son so that he could connect with you. And we're told all of this in Scripture, and we're told that God is eternal. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He's a place where we can go and hide in during the storms, and we will feel safe. He is your source of contentment. He is that source. Psalm 62, verse 1, I started off with that this morning for a a, a particular reason, for the very reason that it says, you know, I find rest in God alone. You know, I've mentioned the hamster's wheel before, and often we feel like that, don't we? And often we're looking for contentment in all the wrong places. If only I could get that. If only I could buy that. If only I could do that or go there or make it there. If only hoping that we'll find contentment in those things. But God says, listen, the contentment, the true contentment that you will find will be in me, in who I am, as your father, as your creator as the one who loves you and always will love you more than anyone else ever has or ever will. So my point is, too, if you're going through a difficult time this morning, if you've got hospital results coming this week, if you're worried about something this week, God, your Father's got it. He's got your back. And he's the one you can find your peace and true contentment in because he says... I have your life right in the very palm of my hand. Let's just pray a minute. <laughs> Father, we just, we, sometimes, God, we're so much on the hamster wheel, we miss the truth that you're our Father. We miss the truth that we're in your arms. 
We miss the truth, God, that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. Father, I pray that we might find our peace and our contentment in your love as we abide there and in your Son as we just enjoy that relationship. May we draw our strength and peace and contentment from him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We have a great God. We have an amazing. We have treasure. You might have no penny, nothing in the bank this morning, but you've got a very rich God who looks after you. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing one of my favorite things. I learned this over um, lockdown, this song, and I just love it. We'll praise the name. We're going to stand and worship God with that.
uh, by the Bible class and uh, Sunday club can, can go out today. And there is crash if anyone needs crash over on the left-hand side here. Um, through that door and into the left, the quiet room, you call it. Um, okay. Okay, uh, you probably remember the church weekend that we had here in the church um, back a while ago. Well, Barry has done a report. Do you remember he said he would do a report for us um, about the weekend, summarizing the weekend and trying to look into the future of, of what God has for us in the future. And I want you to be praying as we start in September back into a new church year, what God has for us in this next church year, what God wants to do in us and through us in this, church, in this next church year. You'll be receiving one of these reports next Sunday. Each of you will get one of your own um, next Sunday morning uh, to have a reread through it. Um, but what I want to do is I want to, to pray. Barry has laid out a prayer in it. And uh, a, I want you to be praying this prayer a few times during the summer as we come back into September. And uh, so I'm going to pray it now, and you can join in your hearts with me. Uh, as I say, you'll receive it next week uh, for yourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to finally have a weekend together and for the fellowship and ideas we have been able to share. We pray, Lord, that our wishes and desires for this church and our community will not be forgotten, but that you will help and guide us to bring them to fruition. Give us the strength, the faith, and motivation that we can achieve all these things through you. We ask for the wisdom to see your will and desires as we develop the plans and strategies to move us forward. We pray for your help to secure resources your wisdom to overcome obstacles. Let us be trusting and willing to follow your lead. We pray for an awakening and a reawakening of love for you at both a personal and a corporate level. We want to be able to know you better and to be able to share your love with those in our community who don't know you. We want to refocus our mindsets so that we can develop and be part of a community in vibrant relationship with you. Let our church be a beacon of support in the heart of this area with a warm welcome on offer to friends and strangers alike. Holy Spirit, move in us that we can be a church of blessing and grace. We pray for those within our families, friendship circles, neighborhoods, and community that we can help them to know you. And we pray especially for the young people of the area that you will give us the means to encourage and mentor them. Please help each of us to acknowledge and understand the knowledge, skills, and gifts that you have given to us and to use them in your service. Help us to be better than we are. Help us to develop the prayer life to underpin and power all of our activities and give all of us the confidence to participate. Please help us to develop our worship that it can be uplifting and encouraging to all. We pray that we can be an example to our politicians and a support for our health workers, missionaries, and those most in need in Northern Ireland and across the world. We pray for your blessings and empowerment of our minister, elders, and all of us who wish to play a part in a restoration and revival. And may Christ be at the center of everything we do. Amen. And, and Barry uh, possibly will be having a wee chat just in one of the services uh, coming into September uh, just to help focus our minds on what does God want to do with us and through us in the coming year. Okay. So uh, we're going we're to stand and sing, breathe on me, breath of God. May that be a prayer. And obviously the breath of God is the spirit, the pneuma, the spirit of God. And that's what we need, God's spirit amongst us. Mm -hmm.
Uh, read from Philippians. This was our last morning on Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 uh, verses 10 to 12. Uh, Chris, if you could just put that wee PowerPoint up for me, that'd be great. That's you. That's it. Thank you very much. Um, I hope you have enjoyed the series. Uh, Going to read just verses 10 to 12. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When I was a student at Belfast Bible College, uh, my foreign field term was in Malawi in Central Africa. Um, Yes, there I am, (laughs) Crocodile Dundee, if you can make me out. Yeah. (laughs) Towards the end of my stay, um, I wanted to travel north to Ekwendeni, because I'd seen in the Presbyterian points for prayer that a girl named Ivy Chan was working there in the hospital as a midwife. And when I was a student in Cape Renoi Bible School, in the winter school, I sat beside her the whole winter school. So I wanted to get up to see her. So, but part of getting up north was traveling on a passenger ship uh, up Lake Malawi. And it was to be a long, long journey. And it would involve an overnight stay in the ship. Uh, I didn't have much money. I was running very low on money, so I went second class, which involved grabbing a soft seat for yourself and sleeping on it. Um, The alternatives were third class, which meant sleeping on the deck, or first class, which meant you got a cabin with an ensuite and everything. But I was second class. um, But I I survived basically on eating bananas. This wee woman on the boat was selling bananas. It was about half a pence and beautiful tasting bananas. I I survived on that until that that late afternoon the ship pulled into a little port and we were told we're going to be docking for two hours before we'd head on. And as I got off the ship, I noticed a wee restaurant and there was an advertisement outside, chicken and chips. (laughs) And I was so excited. And there were a couple of Australian fellas that had been on the boat as well and we headed into this chicken and chips restaurant. And then one of the Australian guys turned to me and said, the chef's outside chasing your dinner. (laughs) He's chasing your chicken. And there he was outside with a meat (laughs) thing, chasing my chicken. Okay, but... (laughs) I sat outside and and I waited for the chicken 
and I watched the sun go down and the chicken still wasn't ready and eventually it arrived and if you'd, if, if you'd have blindfolded me and asked me which was the chicken and which was an old army boot I'd, I'd have found it hard to tell the difference it was so tough I thought to myself well at least my chips are coming and getting chips so the chef took the large chip pan and he had no sieve at all in it so the chips were just floating, swimming, treading water and he poured it into a dish, into a bowl for me and they were literally swimming in the grease so I thought I can't eat this so I managed to rush back to the boat, the two hours were up, I rushed back to the boat and uh, I was really annoyed, really despondent but God gave me a friend and I don't know his name but he was a steward on the ship and it turned out he was a Christian. Out of all the people on the ship, this guy that I spoke to was a believer. And I told him what had happened, and he said, I will arrange for you to be able to go for breakfast in the morning. And he said, I'll also arrange for some sandwiches to be made for you for, that, for your next travels for the following day. So God was indeed with me. Paul on many occasions experienced the presence and the provision of God. In verse 10, he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Philippi had been fantastic in supporting Paul, but for some reason, for a while, they hadn't been able to get the money to him. Now, Paul didn't know why, but it could have been that Paul was just in a very awkward place to get the money to him, or it could have been just that they were struggling at the time with the persecution of the Christians within their church, struggling to get the money. Um, difficult for, it was difficult for Paul when he wasn't receiving the money because if you were a prisoner in Rome, you were dependent upon all of the outside support. But when Aphroditus came from Philippi, he was their representative coming from the church, and he shows up at Paul's Roman prison cell. Paul is so delighted and relieved to see him. He says, I rejoiced. It's likely the prison heard him. He says, I rejoiced greatly. He's probably shouting, bawling, praising the Lord. I rejoiced greatly that you renewed your concern for me. And the Greek word, for renewed or revived. It's a very rare word uh, that means blossom again, like perennials in the springtime. When Aphroditus arrives, he's saying at, at a cell, it was like spring flowers that were suddenly bursting into bloom. His despondency, his discouragement, his depression, his, his anxiety just went out the window. And it was like springtime for him just to see this guy. Not just because he could now get a wee bit of warm clothing, buy a wee bit of warm clothing, or get a nice wee meal. But to, he was glad because he met Aphrodite's and he was able to ask him how the church was doing. And the fact that they'd sent him a gift showed that they were now spiritually healthy. So he says, you know, it's for all those reasons, it's not just because of the money. He goes on in verse 11, and he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And our theme over the service today is content and contentment. It's not a word that you hear spoken these days, is it? Being content. Yet it's something everybody wants. And I'm sure if Marks and Spencers had the ability of bottling and selling contentment, I'm sure there'd be queues a mile long for to get it. And many people would spend, be willing to spend an awful lot of money if they could just have contentment, peace. Yet Paul points out such a contentment that he has found is available to everyone for free, no charge. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And this, this term, this term, um, should have you contentment, the term, the Greek term that he uses, it should really have knocked his readers for six because he used an old Stoic philosophy term 
The Stoics, they believe that what you want is contentment at any cost. That the essence of life, the thing you're meant to be aiming for, is contentment. The Stoics really believe that you get your head and you, you get your head down and you're determined to be content, that you are not going to be affected by any of your circumstances, but in your own strength, somehow you're going to be content. And so he uses that. He says, I have learned to be content. And he's got the ears, the people's ears up, they're listening now. But his contentment is not in his own sufficiency, not in his own strength, not in his own ability, but his sufficiency, his contentment is Christ. Christ. Paul is content not because he's independent and he's going to make it on his own, but his contentment comes from the fact that he's totally dependent, totally dependent upon Christ. And that's what brings his contentment. And how often we strive when we're going through difficult times, we strive and we'll use this plan, plan A, plan B, Plan C, plan D, and if they don't work, then we just have to trust the Lord. Whereas he should be the basis for our contentment. And this is what Paul, Paul does. He has his relationship with Christ. That's where he finds his strength. That's what he draws his strength from. That's where he draws his peace from. Should everything Go pear-shaped. I've got Christ. So verse 12, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I'm sure you'd agree that Paul had difficult days. I'm sure he was discouraged on many occasions by the trials that he had to go through. You know, Christ, you see, Christ can't use a proud man. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And being a Pharisee, pride just came with that. And God put him through some treacherous waters for a while to rub the rough edges off him. Christ had said to Ananias, when Ananias was going to him, going to Paul, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In other words, I have a lot to do in his life before I use him. I've got a lot to do in him. And he, and he does. Until Paul came up to that point where he chose to humble himself before Jesus Christ and go, my sufficiency isn't in my knowledge that I've equipped being a Pharisee. It's not in my inheritance. My strength and my ability is in Christ alone. And he says, I know what it is to be in need. It's also translated to be abased. Do you remember in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he refers to himself and his, and his whole team as being poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. And in the second letter, he writes, we're afflicted in every way here, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're confused. Sometimes we don't know what to do, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, and it's hard to take, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And in that same letter, he talks personally about himself. He says, five times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked and tread water until someone came. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in cold and exposure. It has been tough for Paul. And it's been tough for some of you. This past year or a couple of years, some of you, it's been tough for you. 
But Paul finds his sufficiency and his contentment in Christ. Now he knows what it is to suffer with Christ and he knows what it is to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, which we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Now he's learned to humble himself as Christ did and accept the lows as well as the highs. The little town of Lystra comes to mind, Acts 14. Paul is stoned by some Jews and they drag him outside the town. They think he's dead. So he's well stoned. They drag him outside the town and they leave him there because they think that's him finished. But Paul comes around and he's in, I'm sure, in absolute agony, cut, bruised, beaten, sore, and he manages to stagger onto his feet. And you or I would probably go, I got to get out of Lystra. I got to get out of here. But he doesn't. He turns back and he walks back into Lystra. He hasn't finished yet. And we don't know whose house he went to, but some scholars suggest that they think he went to the house of Lois and Eunice and that they cleaned him up and that he led Eunice's son to Christ. Eunice's son was Timothy. Timothy became like an adopted son to Paul and the future pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be humbled, to be abased. And he says, and I know what it is to have plenty, to abound. I've learned to take the highs. I've learned to take the lows. I've learned to take the parties, and I've learned to take the beatings. And Paul, when he says, I, know, I have learned the secret of being content, he borrows this term, secret, <laughs> from the vocabulary of false religions. That's strange, you might think, but uh, in some of those false religions, you had a secret induction, and the secret induction was painful and difficult to go through. And he uses this term to show that this contentment that he has found didn't come overnight. It wasn't something easy that landed on his lap. But through many testing trials, beatings, and all sorts that he went through, now that contentment in Christ is his. He's learning to be content, and learning to be content was part of his spiritual growth. And often we respond to trials by panic and fear. But how we can learn spiritually, and it's not an easy lesson to learn, is to hold on to Christ. Hold on to him. Just take him and find your contentment and your peace in the one who has your life totally, absolutely in the palm of his hands. says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So in the low times, he's learned to humble himself like Christ did. But going back to my journey in Malawi, I think I understand a little bit, just a little fraction of what Paul is getting at here. Um, because, well, my experience is much, much smaller <laughs> and uh, insignificant scale compared to what he went through. But the ship arrived in a village called Nkata Bay, a beautiful wee village. It was only when I arrived there that I was told that the president of Malawi was coming the following day. And so there were no rooms left in the inn, so to speak. So I went to the local police station to see if they had any recommendations, and uh, they took me along this wee dark, windy road what looked like a wee small shack. There was no mosquito net. There was no, well, there was an oil lamp, but it didn't work. And the lock on the door was a coat hanger wire. And the door led out onto the street. 
Well, I found out later from missionaries, I'm glad I didn't know then, but I found out later that it was actually the red light district that I was in. It's just there was no power, so there's nowhere to plug a red light into. <laughs> and it was also a big drug area. Well, the next morning I got up and I hadn't washed. I was smelling, I was minging. I hadn't washed for a couple of days, so I went down to the lake and started bathing in the lake and just enjoying it. We silver fish swimming around my feet. It was lovely. And they came up to get my breakfast. Banana pancakes, the nicest I've ever tasted. But uh, sitting chatting, somebody found out I'd been down at the lake and I was told, well, <laughs> what did you go down there for? Because there's crocodiles down there and that... <laughs> Uh, there's actually a full-time crocodile hunter down there watching for them because somebody was bitten a week or two ago. But uh, I could have been breakfast for them. But anyway, I headed on, on a, in a bus up towards Equindeni and traveled most of that day. Then we arrived in a town. We needed to sleep overnight. There were two guys on the bus, two Dutch fellas. So we went to the YMCA I had hoped to get a room. There was only one room left, so none of us took it. But we decided just to bed down in the foyer, just as people were walking in and out the entrance. So we started to get ready just to, to lie down. And the other guys, they had a sleeping bag. They were traveling and everything, they had a sleeping bag and all that stuff. All I had was a little hand towel. <laughs> so I was going to use that for my pillow, and I put it down on the floor, and one of the Dutch guys says, why don't you just go and ask the guy, see if he's got a blanket? So he gave me a blanket, and we slept there. But I think, you know, two weeks ago, before that, if you'd have told me I wasn't going to have a, a mosquito net, I wasn't going to have a bed, I wasn't going to have a blanket, I was going to be really scarce on food, I probably would have panicked. But now, it didn't matter. I had a piece about just lying on a tile. And I think the more Paul went through the sufferings and the beatings and stuff that he did, he starts to realize, you know what? I'm just going to accept these as part of the menu of following Christ. And I'm going to humble myself, and I know that if... The worst comes to the worst. I have Christ. And a wee song has just come to mind. And you should look it up on YouTube. Um, Graham Kendrick wrote a song, For This I Have Jesus. It's a beautiful song, For This I Have Jesus. And I've said, some of you have been, I've only been here from January, but I've got to know some of you, and some of you have been through difficult times in the past year or two. And Paul would encourage you from this letter as we close Philippians. He would encourage you to remind yourself, for this I have Jesus. And he will never, ever leave me, never, ever forsake me. I'm there in the palm of his hands. For Paul, the sufficiency of Christ was enough for him. And he went to sleep many a night with bruises, pain, cuts in his body from all the beatings, but he drew his strength from Christ. And leads, that leads me to this final verse and close on Philippians. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, this is probably the most misused verse in Scripture. People use it, you know, if they haven't got a gift in something, they'll go along and say, well, you know, through Christ, you'll give me strength to do this. It's not for that. We have to keep it in its context. You know, if I was to say to you, Right, I'm going to sing next Sunday morning. Okay, I'm going to sing two pieces. Right? And I'm going to claim this verse, I could do all things through Christ. It strengthens me. By the end of the two songs, you'd be sitting with your earmuffs on. <laughs> the very angels would have their earmuffs on, because that's not my gift. And we can't just use it glibly for something that we're not good at. But what we're, Paul is talking here about is that he's confident that he will be divinely strengthened to do anything and everything that God calls him to do. Not only could he be content 
in every circumstance. But he could be sure that he would be given the divine power to deal with every circumstance. Christ is his sufficiency. Christ, his strength. Christ, his ability to deal with whatever comes his way. From the Greek translation, the word through should really be replaced by the word in. It should be translated in. It should read, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Whatever comes Paul's way, he has the strength to meet it. If he's brought low, he's a man who's in Christ. That relationship, the vine and the branch. If he abounds, if he's lifted, if he has plenty, he's a man in Christ. A man in Christ, he's content regardless of the situation because he has Christ. And I tell you this this morning, if you're a believer and you're tempted to do what God has called you to do, yes, you'll slip up, yes, you'll make mistakes, but if that is your heart to do what God wants you to do, should a tornado hit your life, should a tsunami come take the feet from under you, should a whirlwind come around the corner... Christ will give you the divine power and strength to deal with it. I can do all this in him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're not dealing with a false God. We're not dealing with a wimpy God, a God who is non-existent. We're dealing with a God who is eternal. We're dealing with a God who loves us incredibly. We're dealing with a God who has got all the strength um, in his right hand. And Father, we're dealing with a God who keeps us in the palm of his hand. Lord, I pray that we would not battle on our own that we would not try to deal with situations that are, seem mountainous to us, but that we would put our, ha- our lives in the palm of Christ who has us and holds us and will not forsake us ever. Lord, may we abandon the worry. And we worry so easily, Father. We all worry. I pray that we would starve it and that we would put our focus more on Jesus Christ. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us because he loved us, but who rose again because of the power behind him. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish with a very appropriate song, Because He Lives Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and the fellowship of God's Spirit be with you and be with me this next week and forevermore. Amen.